to Law Enforcement Today, the podcast. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. I'm a radio broadcaster and also retired Baltimore police sergeant. In every Law Enforcement Today podcast, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Be sure to check out our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and please take the time to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. In the studio in West Palm Beach and through the, the modern technology, the miracles of science, our guest, Jason Schechterly, joining us from, I, I imagine you're in Arizona? I am in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, where it's 120 degrees. But it's a dry heat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well... That, that's what they say. I don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> We're here in South Florida, and it's about 94 with about 90% humidity. humidity We're complaining. Is, yeah, brutal. I got to tell you, I went to Tucson, Arizona many years ago in August for a computer training. This is after I retired from police work. And instantly, like my eyeballs were dried out. My skin was dried out. I was like, I was thirsty. I was like, this, it goes, it's a dry heat. I'm going, this is like hell on earth. It's horribly hot. I don't care what you say. <laughs> And we had tarantulas it's, on the doors. It was nuts. It's brutal. It is. It's brutal. So you're retired from the Phoenix Police Department. Yes, sir. And I got to say this. I remember when the fir- television show, The First 48, first came on, I remember seeing you. You're part of the homicide unit of the Phoenix Police Department, correct? Yes, sir. That, how long ago was that? I was in the homicide unit from 2004 till... Uh, late 2006, and the show that I was featured on was filmed in May of 2005. You're kidding. You're making me sound really old. <laughs> they still rerun it all the time, and it blows my mind. I'll turn on A&E and see myself. I'm thinking, man, that was 12 years ago already. I know. We're, getting, we're all getting old, right, It Jason? doesn't seem like that long That's ago. Sure. So you had a career in the Phoenix Police Department. That was cut short, and I, I don't know how to say this in ways that, do you remember back on the job when you had to do a death notification? Of course you do, right? Oh, yeah, of course. And there's no way of saying things sometimes other than just directly, and it feels harsh, but you 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 went through an absolutely catastrophic, life-changing accident during your career. Do you want to tell us about that? Of course, Uh, and that's exactly how to put it. Catastrophic is the only way that something like this could be described. And, you know, there's thousands of officers across this country who have gone through maybe not the exact same thing, but uh, something in the line of duty that is life-changing. So it's easy to understand. But for me, uh, yeah, it was was a short career in the sense that I had just gotten off probation. I graduated the academy January of 2000, and... Did my rookie year, got off probation, and just life could not have been any better. At Those the are the time. good old days, Mar- right, Jason? The good old it days. Those are the good old days. I, I was married, two kids, and I mean, being a patrol officer, uh, the city that I grew up in, I just absolutely love this job. And uh, 14 months in, March 26, 2001, and ironically, March 26, 1999, a Phoenix police officer named Mark Axon was shot and killed in the line of duty, and he is the reason 
but I became a Phoenix police officer. Wow. His line of duty, death. And two years to the day on his anniversary, I went to work and I was working an afternoon, evening shift. Got almost all the way through it about 11.30 that night. I was on my way to an emergency call and I'm running code three. And as I approached one of the main intersections in downtown Phoenix, I came to a brief stop on a red light and uh, the back of my Ford Crown Victoria got plowed into by a uh, taxi cab and the guy was doing over 100 miles an hour. He's having an epileptic seizure at the time. Wow. So he's just flying and the car, there's a lot of problems back then with the Ford Crown Victoria's a lot of officers have burned to death in these rear end fuel fed fires and as fate would have it there was a fire truck in the intersection that witnessed the accident and were able to go to work for me and and you know help with saving my life I suffered some very severe burns uh, 43% of my body my neck head and face being the worst they were fourth degree which is fourth degree not third heard. degree fourth degree fourth degree so you think of right through the last layers of muscle fat right to the bone and that's on my head and face you know one of the main reasons i survived was my bulletproof vest it protected had my chest been burned anything like my arms wow. or face i i certainly would have died pretty quickly so it's my arms my hands my neck head and face all the exposed areas i want to ask you a question right now okay when that car rear-ended you, do you remember anything? What went through your mind? Was it were you conscious, unconscious? What were you? What was going through your mind? Is this happening, or what were you thinking at that time? I never saw the car coming because I was in the process of clearing the intersection. That right. you know, it takes it takes just a second or two to to clear an intersection and blow through a red light, and so I never saw him coming. And at that speed, I never felt the impact, which of course, is a, a blessing because I didn't have to experience any of the, the fear or chaos involved in something like that. I have a couple of very faint memories, one of waking up with just uh, the most outrageous noise I've ever heard and, and the darkness and, and seeing firefighters standing there. But very quickly, I think your body maybe knows what it can and can't handle and it it shut back down for me. And then I have a very faint memory of violently throwing up, which I found out when they were intubating me at the emergency room, I I did. But after that, uh, it was snap your fingers. I woke up and my wife is telling me it's June 12th, two and a half months. Wow. I saw photos of the p- patrol car. And to say mm-hmm. that it was obviously fully engulfed is an understatement. That thing yes. erupted. Yes. And you were yes, in it, it, and you were unconscious, and there's a, a fire vehicle right there at the moment? There's a fire truck. Yes, I was headed eastbound, and a fire truck was coming up the Axtrus Road northbound to turn east on the same road. So when they pulled up to the intersection, they looked to their left to see if anybody was coming, and at that exact moment, I was impacted and a fireball. I mean, the timing, just absolutely incredible to put a fire truck in the exact spot when I needed them the most. 
And not to be freaky, there can't be coincidence. There's got to be more to it. You know, there's so many little ironies to it. I mean, they were on their way to the same call that I was going to, but for them, I was on my way to a dead body call. And the way the call came out, it seemed like a violent crime had been committed. So I'm running code three. Well, for them, the victim is already deceased. So they were running code two. They weren't in a hurry to get there. They, one of their firefighters slept through the alarm. He never heard it. They had to go back in and wake him up. And we're talking just small, precious seconds that was the matter of life and death for me. Hmm. So your life could have, in all actuality, probably had there been a 30-second difference, would have ended that night. Uh, yes, sir. I think if there was a five-second difference, it would have ended that night. I needed everything to go in my favor. The way that they, where they were, how they performed their job. There was two police officers that showed up within about 30 seconds, not knowing what they were coming up on. It, it, it was so fast, they didn't even, it didn't even have time to be a radio call. Then they see it's a police car and they don't know who's inside of it. And I don't care what people might say or think out there, police officers are still human, and yeah. you still are gonna have to deal with fight or flight syndrome. And when you're in those moments of the chaos and the anxiety, and then the fear of like, wow, who's in there? Is that one of my friends? And one of them cut my seatbelt, helped the firefighter pull me out, while another officer wearing just a short sleeve polyester uniform crawled into the cab of the car that was on fire to help get my legs and feet from under the, I'm pretty tall, 6'3", wear a size 13 shoe. It wasn't easy to extract me out of a driver's side window that's on fire. The heat that comes off a vehicle fire is indescribable. The smoke that comes off a vehicle Mm -hmm. fire is indescribable from the tires, the fuel, everything else. It takes king-size balls, for lack of better words, to go that close to a vehicle that's fully engaged and fully inflamed to rescue anybody. A a firefighter to do it with all the protective gear, it takes tremendous courage. For a police officer who's got no protective gear at all, that's unimaginable that they would crawl in and and try to help you. I can't understand where that level of courage comes from. Yeah, these guys, they won Officers of the Year 2001 for what they did that night, and and it it was. It's, It's something that you can't really put into words i mean we should name jason would please name them i I would be happy to name them one of the officers is uh an officer named kevin chadwick he is now retired and i heard that he moved somewhere to the midwest and is just relaxing on a farm and another officer is named brian brooks he's the one that crawled into the car and uh he is now working for arizona department of public safety our, our highway patrol and whenever i see him i see him several times a year at different events and i'm still very humbled in his presence uh because we've talked at great length about what he did that night what he saw what he felt but it's still just an incredible feat that they were able to accomplish and then to see what kind of life i have now i'm sure makes them very very proud that they were given the opportunity to be in that moment when this happened, you were married. You were a yeah. young man. You you had children, correct? I did. I was 28 years old at the time. I had a seven-year-old daughter and a son who turned three while I was in my coma. How did your wife find out that you had been 
critically injured? Well, thankfully, my I had a partner at the time, my best friend, an officer named Brian Chapman. He's currently a lieutenant with Phoenix PD. And we had gone to the academy together, and we got our probation. We were partners, and we rode together every day for about three weeks. And on this particular date, it was a Monday, and we were short-staffed. So our sergeant put us in separate cars to, you know, cover the gap in, in, the, in our patrol zone. And we had had an agreement prior to this night that if anything happened to one of us, the other one would go and wake up our spouse because it just never felt right to have. I know there's some great people who are have those assignments within your departments, but I didn't want a stranger knocking on my wife's exactly. door exactly. in the middle of the night and changing her life forever. So Brian happened to intercept the ambulance on its way to the burn center here in Phoenix. And he didn't recognize me. He, he was relieved. He said, because it wasn't me. Right. And then, then when they cut off my uniform in the emergency room, I had a tattoo on my arm at the time that Brian identified me with. And he was faced with, uh, again, something you can't really imagine unless you go through it. He didn't have time to worry about his own feelings or even really worry about me. He knew I was going to pass away very quickly, but he had to go wake my wife up in the middle of the night and uh, give her that news, get my parents out of bed and get them down there. And he had to do it pretty quickly so that they could either say goodbye or at least get the doctors a chance to to say what they needed to say and, you know, sign paperwork and get me off to, to surgery. And he did a, Brian did a hell of a job uh, with, with, how he handled himself that night. And that's often a segment of the population we don't think of it. Not to diminish what you went through, but I, I sometimes don't consider what it was like for my spouse at the time when really bad things happened. And then I talked to other spouses when officers were killed. And uh, it's something that we, you know, Robert and I, we've got to, to focus more of that on future episodes of the show and get some of the spouses the poor woman to have all of a sudden young man, young officer, young family man going to work and then have a bizarre freak accident like this and thinking you're not going to live. It's in an instant that your life changes and you can't just sit there and be sad. She had two kids, two young kids. She had the rest of my family to worry about, you know, between parents and siblings. Then there's still bills to pay. She gets to the hospital and first thing she sees is a priest. Well, what does that tell you? Yeah. That I've already passed away, she's thinking. And then you walk inside and one of the most beautiful things about our profession is the the support. And she walked into hundreds of officers already gathered in the waiting room and just being overwhelmed. Every decision while I'm in a coma, she had to make for surgeries and and things the doctors wanted to try i tell people all the time it is much easier to go through something than to watch somebody you love go through it and i think the spouses and the family have it a lot tougher than because we I mean, we love what we do we understand there's a risk i loved it I, I was in a car accident nothing you know too exciting i i happen to be on duty but uh even for the guys who get shot or all that so they're doing what they want to be doing and you know how it is when you go to work nothing nothing's going to hold you back from doing the job you love but the family 
when they suffer a loss with you, it's I think it's a lot harder. The recuperation must have been intense. How many surgeries, how many procedures did you have to go through? How long a period of time was it before you started walking again? Those sort of things we take for granted. Yeah, I was kind of like a little kid, you know, being in a coma, and I lost 61 pounds. I'm being fed through a stomach tube, 12,000 calories a day, and weight's just falling off me. There's nothing quite like a burn injury. And I was completely blind for a time. I lost half my fingers to amputation. So even when I got out of the hospital, I was kind of like a little kid. I had to go back to a rehabilitation center and just learn how to walk, how to talk with all my skin grafts, how to drink through a straw and try to eat real food again and bathe myself. It was just uh, amazing to think back on, on those days. And surgeries were very often. I've had, currently, I've had 55 surgeries. Jesus. And that's a big number, but I, I really haven't had one. High. Yeah, I, I haven't even had one since 2008. I mean, there finally came a time I'm like, okay, <laughs> enough's enough. I'm happy with what they've accomplished with with my appearance, and I just love being being Jason. I'm very healthy now, so I, I kind of scaled back on some of the elective surgeries. But so there's 55 and and therapy nonstop for for a good couple of years. But as you guys know, I was able to return to work 18 months after the accident. Ended up in the homicide unit a year and a half later and that's what really between my wife sticking by my side having my kids we had another baby after the accident and just you find it's easy to find reasons to to live for and i think when you're doing a job like ours when you're doing something that's bigger than yourself you don't just find one reason you can find dozens of reasons and going back to work really got me over the last humps that I needed to be productive again and to be doing jobs that were so meaningful. I mean, like the work in homicide, when you're speaking for victims who can't speak for themselves, when you're bringing closure to families that are affected by that kind of violence, you can easily accept what you've been through and and move on. I don't know that I would use a phrase easily accept what you've been through because I, I don't I don't know how it, we were talking earlier it's so easy to caught, get caught up in a frame of mind you know what was me poor me I've had this I've had that I've gone through this sure. life's not the way I want it to be and then I feel ashamed when I'm going to talk to a guy like you that's been through what you've been through that carries a passion for living your life and helping other people the way you do. And it's like, what do I have to feel sorry for myself about? The truth is I don't. Well, I, I tell you what, I spend my time, you know, I travel around the country right now and uh, share my story and give presentations. And there's two things that I like to share with people that I, that I have learned maybe the hard way, but through, my circumstances in life, uh, two things have become very clear to me. Number one is, for the most part, we're all where we've chosen to be in life. And you have to have some accountability. It would be so easy for me to say, I wasn't doing anything wrong that night. I was responding to a call. And 
I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe this guy ran into me. Well, you know what? Everything in life, you have a little part in. And to have accountability is a strong presence in any emotional or mental recovery. And I chose to be a police officer. I chose to do that job. I chose to answer up for that call that wasn't even in my area. I didn't have to answer for it. I chose to take the direction of travel that I did to get to that call. Little decisions that should have been inconsequential at the time that have lasting ripple effects throughout my life. But that was a very powerful thing for me to understand. And then the other thing, just like you mentioned, you think about what you're going through right now. And you talk to somebody, you may be like me, who's got burn scars or have had some surgeries, or you see an officer who's been shot and paralyzed, and and it's easy to want to say, God, I have nothing to complain about, or or who am I to to feel sorry for myself? But you are who you are. I am who I am, and we don't get to be each other. So whatever you're going through right now, it's it's a big deal, and you have to find within yourself to overcome that. You don't need to overcome a burn injury like I did because you're not burned, but you do have to embrace whatever adversity you have and don't be unfair to yourself and compare it to somebody else. That's just, uh, it's not helpful. You have to continue to keep building that strong foundation to overcome because there's something else coming. I mean, I was burned 16 years ago and I got plenty of new stuff that I deal with, right? You know, still trying to raise my kids, been married over 20 years. On my 16th anniversary this year, March 26th, should have been a, a nice little celebration. I sat and held my dad's hand as he passed away. Yeah, Adversity never stops coming, you know what I'm saying? No, life keeps on coming, at we, full, full steam. Jason, were you <laughs> this optimistic and this perceptive prior to the incident? I can easily say no to that, and let me explain why. I grew up with, I had a great childhood, a storybook childhood here in the valley where I live, and I never faced real adversity. I you know, I broke a few bones playing sports, but I always achieved the goals I wanted to. I joined the military out of high school, got to travel around and really enjoyed that, came home, and achieved the goal of my dream job of being a cop once I had the the calling come to me with Mark Atkinson's death. And even at 28 years old, you know, beautiful wife and kids, my parents were married and healthy. All four of my grandparents were still married and alive. I hadn't even suffered a death in my family at 28. I was so incredibly lucky for a long period of time in my life. So, I would say no because I had no idea what it was like to face any kind of adversity. Understand. Let us catch up to what you're doing now. So you went back to work after you had this traumatic event and injury and catastrophic event. You went back to work for how long and and where did your career take? you and uh where are you at now i know you're modeling but other than your modeling career what else are you doing (laughs) well i so i was off work about 18 months i returned to work in november of 2002 and started out as public information officer which was great then ended up being a homicide detective and as i'm going through that you know my health is getting good 
feeling strong, productive again. And I was down to really two issues. One was my eyesight. As I mentioned earlier, I was completely blind, and doctors had taken me from 100% darkness to where I'm driving to and from work. I'm reading and writing reports on a computer. I'm investigating detailed murder scenes. And homicide detective isn't, you know, you don't go to work at 8 in the morning, come home at 4 in the afternoon. It's not that easy. You you can go to work and get involved in stuff that will keep you away for 48 hours or more, right. which will take its toll on the healthiest of people. Yeah, it's but not, a, me, it's not it was, a good daddy's position or husband. Yeah, it was it was pretty rough. And then also my gun. I was determined to carry a gun again. And if you could see my hands in person, they're, they're pretty deformed. And right. uh, I went through, I have a great hand surgeon. Uh, he's he's pretty well known. He's, he does all the surgeries for the Arizona Diamondbacks and Phoenix Suns. And when I told him what I wanted to do, he had me bring my Glock into a surgery and he made my right hand around that Glock. It's just, I, I love how people will do stuff to help you overcome things. But I got to where I could shoot. Right. I could load and unload, but I couldn't do it in the time that the uh, peace officer standard and training. The state, state requirements. Holds, well, yeah, and those time requirements are extremely important. So I, while I was very proud that I was able to get back the ability to even draw my gun out of a holster and load and unload a magazine and shoot and hit a target with my limited eyesight and my deformed hands, I knew I wasn't going to be able to qualify and, and get off light duty. So it took me a, a while to decide, but I finally retired in August of 2006. And fast forward to today, uh, I went into business for myself for a little while back in 2008 through 2010, but I really found my my love and, and my my next adventure in public speaking, which is something I never thought I would do. But I travel all over the place uh, doing, uh, sharing my story and talking about overcoming adversity. And I probably do, I'll do around 75 this year. And I love traveling. I love meeting people. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's been an interesting journey and I've led an incredible life. I'm still a young man. I'm only 44 years old. I've got that, that is a young. That's life. a baby compared to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a whole lot of life left to live. Well, well, Jason, for people that will be listening to the show, where can they get in contact if they'd like to to have you come and speak at their their event? Well, I have uh, my first of all, my last name Schechterly is. Uh, there's not too many people in this world that have that. So if you type my name in, a lot of things come up. Most importantly, my website, which is burningshield.com. It's a book I have, Burning Shield. It's on Amazon. It really tells the the whole story of what I've been through. And on that website, there's a, my email. is right there on the front page. And it goes directly. I'm the only one who checks it. I book all my own uh, speeches. And, you know, the one thing that, that makes me sad is that I do the less than 1% of my speeches are to the law enforcement community. And it's either because law enforcement doesn't like to spend money. And, of course, I don't travel around speaking for free. It's my career. Right. Uh, a good friend of mine, Trooper Bobby Smith, who died last October suddenly and was a very well-known 
speaker. That's all he did was travel around and speak to law enforcement. So I'd love to be able to share my story about overcoming line of duty stuff and family and PTSD and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so BernieShield.com, send me an email and read the book. It's someone took me three authors and eight years to get that thing right. So oh, congratulations. Very, very proud of. Thank we you. have to introduce you or get you, uh, afterwards hooked up with the folks at Wounded Officer Initiative uh, here in Central Florida because I'm sure they would love to have come. You, you Actually, come I yes, I've gotten a few emails from them. I was invited to come out last year, and I was not. Oh, I was uh, there, Jason. We would have met. I actually, oh, that would have been wonderful. Yeah. Well, it was uh, it was at the time when my dad was pretty sick. I, and understand. I, I understand. Uh, uh, but I will definitely uh, get out there and uh, be a part of that. I they, I've got quite a few. It's it's a gentleman named Pete, I believe. Pete Hernandez from Orange County yeah, Sheriff's yes. Office. Yes, yes, yep. He's been in, he's been in touch with me. He's Excellent. an awesome guy. Anybody that uh, awesome. knows any uh, anything and uh, Wounded Officers Initiative is an unbelievable group. And Jason, you know, well, even though even though I've been retired now for eleven years, uh, you won't find anybody who more passionate and a strong believer in in law enforcement and anything I could do to help people who have gone through stuff. Anybody I can share my story with or uh, fundraise with anything, I'd be happy to. So, well, anybody we'll, listening, we'll do our best. Um, we'll do our best to help that happen. Yeah. Um, you're an amazing guest. I got to say that right now. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> Thank you so very much. It, it's just a, a very refreshing to have somebody like you that's that's got such a, a zest for living their life and enjoying their life with their family, uh, regardless of what's been handed to you. That that to me is very very inspiring. Well, I appreciate that. And you know, one of the great things about us. You're going to go to bed tonight, you're going to close your eyes, you're going to be alone with your thoughts, and you're going to think about stuff that's that's weighing you down and adversity you're facing and challenges you got to overcome, and that's natural. But when you wake up tomorrow, one of the most inherent desires we have is to be inspired, and it takes almost nothing to be inspired. You could hear your favorite song, your favorite team, wins a game, you see a friendly face you haven't seen, it is so easy to find something that moves you and then to just go in the direction with it. And for a guy like me, you know, I I had my dream job that can never be taken away from me. I did a lot of work that I'm very proud of. I've got three incredible kids that are living a, a beautiful life right now. I do have things I look forward to with the next Diamondbacks game that I'm going to go to or something like that it's just so it, it i don't understand people who will give up on something that is as precious as this life we have because it's short enough don't get in its way it's a, a precious gift and i want to thank you again so very very much for coming on the show with us it's uh, very much appreciated and we're gonna have to have you back on sometime in the future anytime stay in touch i really appreciate this opportunity I had a lot of fun talking to you guys thank you so much jason that's retired Phoenix Police Department Officer Jason Schechterly, and uh, just a phenomenal guest. Unbelievable. And uh, for those of you that want to learn more about Jason, I challenge you to go on YouTube and watch his YouTube videos because they are uplifting and they inspired me to reach out to Jason and to have him on our show. And his foundation's got burningshield.com and he's got a book coming out. And 
I can't imagine much worse that someone can go through. Such dramatically life-changing incident. He was on... Uh, in the blink of an eye. In a car burning up. I'm hoping that also, you know, we've talked to him briefly, say, we'd love to have your wife come on the show. Yes. And talk about the other side. Rebuilding your life from the spouse's side, whether it be a husband, a wife, you know, that's an aspect of law enforcement that we don't hear much about. No, and he put it so articulately that he was in a coma. So, you know, he's resting pretty much peacefully where his family is just going through living hell. And when you brought that up, I wrote that in my notes that you're 100% correct. We need to get some family and loved ones that are willing to come on and talk about what they actually went through day after day waiting for that loved one that was just in this car accident, shooting, whatever it is. We're going to reach out to some folks. I'm going to make some phone calls to people I know and uh, see if we can address that aspect and, and put the invitation out there. We always say at the end of each show, if you want to be a guest on the show, we're really easy to get a hold of. There's multiple ways. You can go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, the Contact Us page. You can send us a message on our Facebook just a private message. You can send Robert an email to robert at lawenforcementtoday.com. Can't get simple of that or jay at lawenforcementtoday.com. And, and so we, or to anything at lawenforcementtoday.com, we'll get it. And we'd love to hear from you. If you got show topics or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you as well. Jason Schechterly, amazing guy, amazing story. I feel like I could go to the gym right now and bench press like 600 pounds. You know, he said something in the show that uh, through our daily lives, we can all find something to inspire us right if we're looking and jason i'm telling you right now if you're listening you inspired me thank you oh such a great show so since robert was officially given up on his task of finding a signature closeout i don't have a signature closeout but i will say this (laughs) with your hands closed yeah (laughs) in the praying position praying that i could articulate this and have it come out as so eloquently as you put things is that You know, these are troubled times for all of us that are out there on the streets. And we need those people that are not in law enforcement to support us. And things aren't going to get much better. The funniest comment I always see on our website and Facebook is, when is this going to stop? Folks, it's not going to stop. It's going to get worse. We need to stick together. We need to support one another. And with that, I say thank you for listening. And be safe out there. That's what I call a signature closeout. And on that note, till next week, this is Jay Wiley. See ya.